Welcome, everybody. If you've got your uh, Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 23. That's where we're going to be. Um, we're going through, we're not in a series right now as it relates to like going through a book. Um, there's been a lot of other stuff going on. The Chouse property that we own, we, uh, I was fixing it up the last two weeks, and um, the LeBlancs, who are going to be trained in church planting and sent out from our church, uh, they have been, uh, they've been moved in. We moved them yesterday, so they're moved in. They're in, in the process of moving between the two homes. And so um, I haven't started a new series. Starting a new series always takes a lot of study and a lot of work. And I am studying for Deuteronomy and reading through that on my own just for my own pleasure. And you're thinking you're reading through Deuteronomy for your own pleasure. And yes, I actually, I'm loving it. It's actually great. I'm, I read this morning two chapters and for about 30 minutes and just loved every minute of it. So and looking forward to the summer and looking forward to, to preaching through that. But in the meantime, um, there are some things that as I looked at the schedule, I was like, well, this is an opportunity for us to probably... Just look over some passages, maybe some familiar ones, some that uh, have been on my heart. And so that's what we've been doing. Psalm 23 is one of those. It's a psalm that probably most of you um, have heard. It starts, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? You've probably seen that on Facebook a few thousand million times somewhere. Uh, you might have seen it on the bathroom wall if you've gone to a Christian's house and it's hanging over their toilet, and you sit down, or above their toilet if you're standing up, and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you're like, well, but I want a toilet, and I'm glad I have one. So, um, but that's where we're at, okay, is Psalm 23. And, and really, the question I want us to ask about Psalm 23 is, what do you want? What do you want? That's a huge question. It's one that we kind of skip over, right? Like, we skip over it real quickly, um, we live in a culture that constantly, constantly is trying to get us to want things. God isn't enough. You need more. You need to want more. You deserve more. You're entitled to more. That, that is the theme of our culture. You can't deny it. You can call it right or wrong. doesn't matter. The reality is that's our culture. Our culture is built on what do you want? Now let me convince you that you want what I'm selling. Right? It's how relationships work. It's how finances work. It's how stores work. I mean, if you've ever talked to someone who's worked in a grocery store, there is a science behind grocery stores that would blow you away. From the time you hit the parking lot, you are being manipulated all the time. There's a reason why there's not milk up front and eggs. Okay? Now, some of them will do that from time to time. They'll put a little section, but if you notice, you'll go in, you'll go to the quick section, and it's not stocked, right? So that's actually strategic. They stock it once a day. You want to know why? Because they want you to feel like, oh, the store was trying to be nice to me, but those other people got it before I could. So you like the store because they put the milk up, but those other people stole it before you could get there and made it quick. There is a science behind it. Where they put things on what shelves, absolute science. The, the, the highest profit margin products, the things they want you to buy, they put in eyesight, period. The things they want your little kids to buy, you know what level they put those on? That's exactly right. It's a science. Our culture knows, just like the enemy in, in Eden knew, that it can convince us to want things and we will buy in. That was the lie of Satan. You want this. 
Oh, I never knew I wanted this. I had no idea. I was just enjoying paradise. I was enjoying having all my needs met. I was enjoying perfection and wonder. I had no idea I had a want. I had no idea I had a need. Oh, you do. God's holding out on you. There's something you don't know that God doesn't want you to know because he doesn't want you to be as good as he is. And isn't that what the, how they sell us product, right? You want to be like so-and-so, like Mike, like to be like Mike, right? Michael Jordan, I mean, Mikey likes it, Life Cereal when I was a kid, you remember? I mean, there's a reason why they still pay celebrities millions and billions of dollars to advertise, because they know we want to be like them. And the original sin is simple. It's like Eden all over again, only we live in a culture that's full of it. It's, there's something you don't know you want, and God is holding out on you because he doesn't want you to be just like him. And the culture twists that around and says, yep, there's things that you want, and we're going to put images out there of what you want so that when you look and say, wow, Michael Jordan is, the world is holding out on me, and if I can have what he has, maybe I'll be like him. I'll take it. I'll buy in. I'll charge it on the card and go in debt for it because it'll make me feel better, and it's going to provide happiness. Like this is, this psalm, when it's written, this is written by David towards the end of his life. He's been through a bunch in his life. Like, we're going to look at that in a second. But he has been through so much in his life by the time he writes this psalm. This isn't some teenager thinking, oh, the Lord's just this cool buddy I hang out with. That's not where we're at here. And if we're really honest, you ready? Because I had to think about this as I read through this this week. I don't want a shepherd. I want a buddy. I want someone who's going to hang out with me, be my friend, chill. And then when I get in trouble and do stupid things, they're going to bail me out, rescue me, and then be my buddy again. They're not going to confront me. They're not going to use a shepherd crook and hook it around my neck and throw me where I shouldn't go. They're not going to poke me. They're not going to measure me. They're not going to do any of that. They're just going to let me be. That's what I want. I don't want a shepherd. Because shepherds care too much. And I just want to do what I want to do. I'm just looking for somebody that will kind of come along with me while I do what I do. And you'll do what I do with me. And we'll just do it together. And God says, I want to be your shepherd. And just like, listen, just like in Genesis, the first sin, Adam and Eve had God as their closest companion and shepherd. And they said, no, we want something more. You're not enough. You're not enough. And they chased it. And it was just a piece of fruit. It wasn't anything terribly evil, awful, terrible. It was just the one thing God said, don't do this. Right? So as we dive into this passage, I want us to think about the fact that when David writes this psalm, it's no accident that the psalm begins in green pastures and it ends in the house of God. The psalm begins, when we read through Psalm 23, it begins with God leading us in green pastures beside the still waters, and it ends with being in the house. But you know what's between those two things? David's saying, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, that's what most of us walk through in life. The problem is, we don't think we should. I, if I know enough, I won't have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Really. Because that's what Jesus did. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He died. He was crucified. 
He showed that no one gets out alive. But then he came back to life to prove that he was the great shepherd. So let's dive in. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you really want him as your shepherd? What do you want? Do you really want him to put shepherds in your life? People that are going to shave you, <laughs> prod and poke you, not let you go where you want to go because you're stupid like I am? See, sheep are stupid. They're one of the stupidest animals on the face of the planet, actually. They really are. They have, they have no natural defenses whatsoever. All they can do is bite. That's it. Sheep bite, that's all. And it's not even that terrible. Like, they're just... And then they grow all this big fur, and then if they get wet, they just can't get up. They're too heavy. They fall on their back, they can't get up. They get big and fat and fluffy, and then that, that's it. I mean, sheep, for God to compare us to sheep is rude. I'm just telling you. Like, he could have used any other animal, an ox or something. He purpose, I think he purposely created sheep just so he could tell us we were like them. Like, I think that was his grand creation plan, was to be like, I'm going to create sheep only for the purpose so I can show you what you're like. That's it. Because they, they smell, they're terrible. Ask my wife, she, she did 4-H with sheep and she would just be gagging and puking while she had to clean out their green armpits on the, on the animals. Like how disgusting and smelly and awful. And they didn't care, nah, I stink, I don't care. Like that's it. Sheep are the, they are. Like, and they're not, like sure they're good, you can, you can, you can eat them and you can wear them. That, that's it. That's all a sheep's good for, eating them and wearing them. That's all. And then they, they're prone to wander, right? They just eat and they don't care because they don't think. They don't think about natural problems. They just, and they just, oh, there's green grass. And they just wander off. And you're like, what, what are you doing? Well, I wanted that grass over there. I didn't, I didn't know there was a pack of wolves. I mean, I heard them barking, but the grass looked good. Like sheep will do that. Like I'm telling you, they're that stupid. And that is the number one way God refers to his people in scripture. And it's not by accident. And it's not because he thinks that we're dumb and he doesn't love us. He's trying to get us to see, are you ready for this? That in comparison to me, the shepherd, you've got no original thoughts. You're pretty dumb without me. And if we believed it, we'd treat the word of God differently. I watched a video this week of a tribe it's an older video, but it was a tribe that for the first time they were getting their, the Bible translated into their native language. It took years. This was like over a decade of trying to translate this into their language, maybe, maybe up to 15, 20 years. The only way they learned the Bible was through memorization. And you should have seen it. This plane flew in and they had Bibles for the first time on this plane and the people were weeping and they were crying and they were praying and they were celebrating. And they brought them out and they laid hands on them and they carried them into their village on pallets and they were just like, we can't believe we finally have the word of God. And I thought to myself, yeah, and you'll probably treat it like we do. See, before you had to memorize it, it was so important to you, you made sure to memorize it, but now you have it laying on the shelf, eh, I'll pick it up sometime. I'm not that stupid. I'm doing all right. I don't need it. God's my shepherd. He'll come save me when I just wander off. I don't even know what he says about wandering off <laughs> or wolves. Like, God's word is this incredible gift, and the shepherd tells us that. Look, look at what Jesus says. Oh, not, not to mention the fact that the shepherd has a flock. It's not just you and him. You're a part of a sheep flock, a community. No shepherd has one sheep. 
That's, that's not a shepherd. That's just an owner of a sheep. <laughs> you own a sheep. Nice. I'm a shepherd. No, you have one sheep. You just own a sheep. A shepherd has a flock. And if we're really honest, I don't like the flock sometimes. Because they bite. And then they wander off. And I don't pay attention. And I just kind of wander with them. And I don't realize I'm wandering off with them. Right? And I look back. I'm like, wait, where, where are we at? Why was I following you? Like, that's me giving directions. If anybody has to follow me, I'm sorry. Like, it means we're all in trouble. You think I'm kidding. I'm the most directionally challenged human being on the face of the planet. I challenge you to find someone worse than me. I mean, I'm terrible. I don't know north, south, east, or west. I, I don't. It's bad. It's really bad. And for years, I fought it and thought I could, like, fix it. Like, for years, I thought, no, I'm going to get this. I'm going to. And finally, I just, I'm like, I can't. I just, I, so when I'm in the car, it's amazing. My wife just orders me, turn here, do this, do that. And I'm like, great, thank you. Like, I don't even argue anymore. It's not a fight. I'm like, I have no idea where I'm, it's good. We're good. And, but the problem is if Susan falls asleep, I could be four exits down the highway, 20 miles away, cruising along, jamming to the radio. Woo, we're going on vacation. Susan wakes up and goes, why are we in the wrong state? I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. Turn around. That's happened just a few times. <laughs> So Susan doesn't sleep anymore. <laughs> like my wife can't even take a nap because she has to shepherd me in the car. <laughs> so here's the deal. This is what Jesus says. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come and go out and find pasture. You see, what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would build rocks to keep his sheep in, especially at night. He'd put a, a, build a rock wall or some kind, of, or, he'd, or he'd walk them into a, like a crevice where the sheep couldn't get out, and then he'd build a, a wall in front of it, and then he'd put a door, and he would actually lay in front of the door. The shep they still do this today. If you go to the Middle East with shepherds, they, they build these walls, and they lay in front of them, so if the sheep get out, they have to step on the shepherd to get out, Right? And that's how they sleep, to make sure the sheep are safe. And so Jesus says, I'm the door. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out without killing me. See, that's why he was crucified. Because nobody gets in without, him, without the shepherd dying. Without the shepherd giving his life. And that's exactly what he says. I'm the door. I'm laying across the door as the shepherd. And he says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. See, the thief doesn't come and build a wall. The thief's like, hey, come over here. It's fine. Oh, you're free to run. You're free to do what you want. Oh, just come. No big deal. Yeah, that's the thief. That, that, he, doesn't, he doesn't really care about what's going to happen to you later. That, that's the grocery store. They don't care how much you fill your cart up with and do you need it. And how big are you going to get? And is it over your budget? They don't care. They just want you to fill your cart. Then it says, I have come so that they might have life and have it in abundance. Really? So let me get this straight. I'm caught in a crevice with a wall and you won't let me out when I want to go out. And you're telling me that's abundant life? That is not abundance. That's rude. Who do you think you are telling me where I can go and come out and go in? I should be able to go where I want to go. Well, you can, but there's consequences to that. So he says, I want you to have life and have it in abundance. And if I'm not with you, you ready for this? If I'm not with you as the shepherd, you don't have life. You're in trouble. You are going to get killed because you're a stupid sheep. 
You're going to walk down to a ravine. It's going to be running water. You're going to be thirsty. You're like, oh, I can do this. No big deal. You're going to stick your head in. You're going to slip and get in. Your wool's going to get wet, and you're done. It's over. You can't get out. But I was just getting a drink. Yeah. And he goes on, and he says, I am the good shepherd, which means there are bad ones. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life. In other words, I'm going to give my life for those who are the sheep. See, Jesus didn't die. He died for sinners, but specifically Jesus died not for sinners who aren't going to repent, but for those of us who will repent. The ones who won't repent, he didn't die. I mean, he died for them, but if they don't repent, they're not going to go to heaven and say, hey, you're my shepherd. He's going to go, no, you're not. You're not, you're not mine. You never listen to me a day in your life. He goes on and he says, again, what do you want? And he says, 23.1, there is nothing I lack. There is nothing I lack. Here's my problem. Here's your problem. I want to say that God is my shepherd. And then I want to show up every day in my prayers and say, this is all you haven't provided for me. I lack all of this because you're not a good shepherd, because you don't do your job, because you're not helping me. David says, there's nothing I lack. This is David after he has committed adultery, after he's committed murder. This is David after his son Absalom has been killed because he tried to overthrow his dad and David was ready to surrender the kingdom. This is David after he took an evil census that God told him to take and it cost people their lives. And David says, you're the shepherd. And even though I've made a mess and even though I, there's nothing I lack in you. Sure, Every decision I keep making, I think I lack something, so I'm going to take a census. I think I lack something, so I'm going to commit adultery. I think I lack something because I'm going to be found out, and so I'm going to commit murder so it's not found out. I think I lack something, so I've made all these terrible decisions, all the while saying you're my shepherd, but really I get it now. In my old age, I understand there really isn't anything I, I, I lack because I have you. And if I have you, I don't need anything else. That, that's a huge thing right here. So, so what do you want? Now, does God want us to present our request to him? Absolutely. But most of the time, our requests are, this is what you owe me. This is what you should do. This is what I'm not willing to do. We come to him with all of our wants. We don't come to him and say, God, I want what you want. What do you say in your word? And when I have gray areas and I'm trying to figure it out, I'm going to invite as many other shepherds that you have brought up in my life to help me make that decision. That's scripture. That, that's that's what you read when you get to Hebrews and it talks about shepherding the flock for pastors and elders and leaders in the church. So why do you think you lack things and you have wants? We've read this verse many times, but James says it this way. What is the source of fights, wars and fights among you? Do they not come from the cravings that are at war within you? Look, there, if, if you've never felt the war in you over the wants you have between you and God, you might want to question whether you really have the Holy Spirit in your life as a result of making a decision for Jesus Christ to invite him to come in. Because people who know Jesus, like David, who made all these mistakes, they keep coming back to a place of, you are my shepherd, 
I got to stop wanting and I got to just trust you. That's where they always come back to. And that's what James says. You won't do that. And it says you desire and do not have. You want and do not have. You murder and covet. You can't get what you want. You fight in war. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, that's why I go tell him what I want. I go and ask him. I want this. 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 And I ask. And then when you don't give it, I get mad. I get upset. I Forget you, I'm wandering off, I don't care what you have to say. That's our, that's our attitude. And he says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Let's just be honest. You're not asking, you ready for this? You're not asking because you really want people to be a part of the flock and understand how great a shepherd you want. You're asking because there's something you want because you don't think God's enough. Now, if you're struggling, if there's problems in your life, God says he wants you to come to him. He wants you to say, God, I'm struggling. Help me, shepherd. And he says, I will be there. That's what we're going to look at in just a second. But if your desire is, this is what I should have, and I'm entitled, and be careful. Because he says, you're an adulteress. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? This is the perfect verse. He says, every time you go out and compare yourself to the world and say, well, my friends have this, they have this, they, why me, why me, why me? Whenever you get to why me, right, be careful because you're, you're on like a razor thin edge like Job was in the Old Testament. It's not wrong to say why me, but expect God to say, why not you? He came to earth, Jesus Christ, in bodily form. And if anybody had the right to say, why me? Woe is me. It was him. And he went all the way to the cross for us as the good shepherd to provide a door for us to enter into. And he says, so whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. So we come to a place where is God your shepherd what do you want? And then he says this. I love this. Because at this point, it's kind of like, eh, and he goes, he lets me. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Notice it doesn't say he entitles me. He lets me. He allows me to rest and lie down in green pastures. You know what the greenest pasture is? It's the one the shepherd's in. The one the shepherd's in is the green pasture. It's the best pasture you need to be in because that's where the shepherd is. Not, hey, shepherd, that looks like a greener pasture over there. Well, I'm, I'm here. Would you trust me? Nope. I'm going to go to that green pasture. He goes through this and he says, no, and then leads me beside quiet waters. Again, sheep drown easily. They're terrible. They'll, they'll drown in a flash flood like that. I mean, they just, they just panic. They panic and they don't know what to do. And here he is and he says, you lead me beside quiet waters. One of the things that we'll look at in a minute is that the shepherd normally would have to actually water the sheep. That's why you find deep wells. Everyone dug wells in the Middle East. So if you go through the Old Testament, you see stories of wells after well after well, Jacob's well, and all these wells that were, it was to, it was to 
water the livestock because a lot of times the water would dry up. It was an arid climate. And so most of the time to water his entire flock, the shepherd had to go deep in the ground, dig a well and bring up the water with the cup that he had to water them. We'll see that in a minute because it talks about the cup overflowing. And the cup was like a 40-gallon thing, like a trough that, that the shepherd would haul around. It was this big, giant thing that everybody got to drink out of. You don't get your own cup. It's a community cup. You ever done that with communion? You ever had the community communion where you see one chalice up there, right? And you're thinking, I hope this is the bread dipping. You know what I mean? Where we dip the bread and go in, like I'm really hoping. And then you see like, it's drink, wipe the rim, drink, wipe, and you're like, Oh, I'm feeling a little queasy. I don't want to make anyone else sick today. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> You're afraid Bob's going to make you sick. Because <laughs> you know the other sheep in your flock. And so he brings out this cup and he says, we're, we're going to drink freely from it, all of us. Do you trust me? I don't know. Bob's breath smells horrible. I'm not... If he's in there, I'll wait till he's done in the trough and maybe if there's some left over, I'd rather just, I'd rather just die. I'd rather just kill over, right? And there are some of you that would be that way. You're laughing because you know it would be you. You're like, I'll just die. Thanks, shepherd, you know? But he brings you beside quiet waters. He makes sure that the water's safe. He makes sure the pasture is safe. But see, the problem is we see other pastures and other waters and we look and say, I don't like the one you have me in, so I'm running to a different one. I can't trust you in this pasture. I can't trust you with this water. There's got to be better. Instead of going to him and saying, is there better? Do you want me to follow you somewhere else? Am I missing something? He goes on, Hebrews 13, 20 says this, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with all that is good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Remember what that means. Yahweh saves who is the Messiah. In other words, the whole Old Testament. Glory belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. Hebrews is coming down to the end. It's laid out this great case of why Jesus is the entire Old Testament. That's what Hebrews is about. That it's all about him. And he comes down to the end and he says he is the great shepherd. And we know it because not only did he die like all the other shepherds, he came back to life and promises, promises eternal life, green pasture forever. He promises us quiet waters forever. That's why we can trust him. He's the good shepherd. And he was willing to lay down his life. The question for us is, do you want to lay down your life for a bunch of dumb, stupid sheep? Because that's what God calls us to in this life. He, he modeled it, he did it, he showed it, and he said, this is what it's going to look like. Now, do you not confront the sheep? Oh, we'll see that in just a second. Because he goes on to say, he renews my life. So this is the part of the psalm where it's like, okay, it's good, it's wonderful. He renews my life. He does. Look at what Romans says. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means you come as a sheep and say, hey, I know, shepherd, you're raising me. What did they raise sheep for? Thank you. To shave you and then slaughter you. That, that was your purpose as a sheep. You didn't have another purpose. That, that's your purpose. And so you go to the shepherd knowing that I'm being raised 
to be slaughtered. And the shepherd looks at you and goes, yeah, and so am I because I'm the Lamb of God. And that's what we do. We give everything we have. We give our, our fur, fur coat. We, we give who we are to the sheep. That's just what we do. He goes, that's what my flock does. That's what it looks like to be a part of my, so he says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. I hear people say, what's God's will for my life? I really want to worship God. I feel like I'm worshiping God. Really, are you, are you surrendering? Are you a live, see, the problem with a living sacrifice is it jumps off the altar when the fire gets hot, right? It's like putting your hand on a burning stove. You don't go, ah, oh, that's nice. I can smell the smoke. Oh, that smells good. My hand's burning off. Hurts really bad. No, you jump off, right? You jump away from it. And there's a good part about that. But there's also the part that when God asks us to lay our lives down and we keep jumping off, we don't understand our purpose as a sheep. Goes on, he says, don't be conformed. This is perfect. Again, the world, James said, like we read earlier, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at this. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that you might hear the shepherd's voice. There are all kinds of competing voices out there, and the shepherd's voice is trying to get through. But if you won't allow your mind to be renewed, you're just going to run to where you want to go. So we have to allow the renewing of our mind. Let me tell you something. Renewing of your mind takes time. It's not quick. It's a process of allowing God to take you in his word. And like, this is David saying he renewed my life. David, remember, murderer, adulterer, bad census. His people died because of it. All this stuff, David is now getting to the point where he's saying, and I need him to renew my life. And he has renewed my life over and over again, even through the stupid, even through the dumb. He continues, and I don't deserve it. I don't deserve any of it. And he continues to renew my life. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. And he knew David would give his life. And David continued to come back to give his life. Even when David took the bad census and God gave him, David was like, take, take my life. When he committed adultery and God said, Bathsheba's baby's not going to survive, David was like, take my life in place of his. God's like, nope, you're going to have to keep living. I know you'd rather die, but I'm asking you to keep living. And the story is going to be told forever what you did so that people have hope in a good shepherd. He goes on and he says this, he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Romans says this, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, one flock, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we are many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. You see, here's the deal. He leads me along, you ready for this? Right paths. But again, I'm like you. I look and I go, this isn't the right path. This isn't where I want to go. I question, again, I go back to my directions. Whenever Susan says, okay, look, we're gonna take the next exit in five miles. It drives her nuts, because uh, two miles later, I'll be like, there's an exit, should I take it? No, don't get off the hot stay, right? I'll be like, hey, we're, we're at another exit. She's like, no, no, this, okay, got it. Just asking, just checking back in with my shepherd here, because I don't know where I'm going. I don't trust my decision making. This is, I'm just telling you. 
He looks and he says, I will lead you along the right paths, which means there are bad paths. But look why he does it. You ready for this? He does it for his name's sake. Not yours. Not mine. Not for the world's. He does it because he wants his name to be known in the world. He wants people to know that they can have a shepherd when there isn't one. He wants people to know that there is grace that can be given to them. And that they better not think too highly of themselves because they're just a sheep. But God loves sheep. And he takes care of them. And he cleans them. And he shears them. And he does what's necessary through the hard things of life so that they can be what he wants them to be. That's a beautiful thing. And he says, think sensibly about this. He goes on and he says, and don't, don't lose that, by the way, the whole his namesake. Like, so often when we're going to God with what we want, it's because we've decided there's a name we want. There, there's a title we want. There's a lifestyle I want. There's something I'm striving for I want, and that's going to give me the name I want. It's pride. That's what Romans says. Be humble. Don't be prideful. Do it for his namesake. And if you're doing it for his namesake, when you don't get credit, you know what you do? You smile. Because you weren't doing it for you anyway. When you get upset that you don't get credit, you know what that exposes? You did it for you. Maybe you might get upset. Maybe you might get upset if you did it and people didn't recognize and give God credit. But let's be honest, that's like the furthest from our mind most times. He goes on and he says this, even, so he lays all this out, oh, for his name's sake. And we're all saying, amen. And then David says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. He switches here, if you notice. He was talking about the Lord and he was referring to him in the third person. Now he switches and he says, you. So he says, he leads me. Now he says, even when I go, listen. You will typically not switch your wants and your mindsets until you stop saying he, 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 you, and you switch it to you. I worship you. You're in charge. When he's distant and far off, it's like, oh, yeah, he does this, he does. You do this. It's personal now. David's saying, even when I go through the darkest valley, I'll fear no danger, for you are with me. Do you believe that he wants to be with you? You better. Because that's why Jesus gave his life. He didn't give his life to just kick sheep around. That's not what he did. He gave his life because he said, I came from heaven to earth to be a shepherd like this, to actually be the sheep that was slaughtered on your behalf so you don't have to, so you can know that I want to be with you. His name was Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. I came to be with you. The re in, in Eden, he said, I want to be with you. And they said, we don't want you. I want you. He looks and he says, and I love this. He goes, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you. When I see a rod coming, I typically don't get real comfortable. Right? Someone's coming with a rod. I'm not like, oh, that's a rod. <laughs> I'm going the other way. I saw what happened to Bob. <laughs> like, like, 
But people who understand the good shepherd understand that he uses his rod correctly. Sometimes for correction because you need a swift kick on the rear end. You need a smack. You need a poke. You need to be separated because you're biting other sheep. And sometimes the rods use, are you ready for this? Because it's a shepherd crook. And you've fallen into a pit and he reaches down with that crook and he hooks you right underneath the arms and he pulls you up with his rod. It's both. It's both a thing of encouragement. Sometimes the rod is him just touching you with it. Letting you know he's there because you're three sheep away and you can't get to him and he just reaches over and he brushes you with it. You're like, oh, thanks. And sometimes you know what's coming because you know what you've done. You try to run further and run further. He says, look at this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for what's right, for right paths. God says, I want you to live for right paths. You've been healed by his wounds. Listen, we have healing for eternity. It's guaranteed. We may not get it on this side of eternity. We may struggle on this side of eternity. But can I just encourage you to continue to go to your good shepherd and say, I know that I, that I, know, that I know that you are going to heal me forever. I, have, I, I, can, I can want healing now and, and, and entrust you with that, but I can claim and know that you're going to provide healing for me forever. He goes on, he says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In other words, this isn't about the here and now. This is about something much deeper, Peter says. This is about guarding the very soul that you have. And he said he did it for us when we deserved it. And so when you're going through the darkest valley and the fears, knowing that you've sinned and you don't want to confess, knowing the mess that's come. Just know that God says, I have a rod and let me use it how I need to use it. Trust me. Trust me. And we want to tell him how to use it. He says, that's not how it works. Proverbs says, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. God doesn't spare his rod from us. He uses it appropriately. I'll never forget when we went to our pediatrician, when our daughter, we were struggling because she was just rebellious at nap time she was rebellious at other times too but at nap time it all came out scream cry fight kick you know whatever and we just we had to like hold her down in her bed it was awful so we went to our pediatrician who was a christian praise the lord and he called micaiah in and uh she i guess she was about 18 months or a little bit older than that at this point called her in and he started asking her she could speak in like full sentences she was our kid that did that and so She's talking, and do you have any, are you having any problems? We're like, no, she's healthy except nap time. And we kind of mentioned nap time, and he went, oh. And so he started asking Micaiah some questions, and he could just see her spirit welling up at 18 months old, 20 months old, just iron will to him, right? So he looked, and he goes, um, so how are you going to deal with this? We said, well, we're, we're trying. We, we've, we, we've spanked her, put her down. We, we don't. He's like, do you have a wooden spoon? Yeah. Okay, good. Micaiah, your parents have a wooden spoon. Here's my prescription as a doctor for your parents. You're going to take that wooden spoon, you're going to put it by the doorway. And if, if you walk over that spoon, if you come out of your room, you can be in your room, you can throw your tantrum, you can do whatever you want. But if, and so you guys have to let her just be that way. 
Like, keep her safe, keep her in a sheep pen, let her throw a tantrum, right? Whatever. Put that spoon there. You cross that line, the spoon's coming down. You know what's great about a wooden spoon? It's also the thing that you use to feed your family with, to stir, to serve your family with. Talk about a genius pediatrician. And thankful to this day for him and how he prayed for our children and helped us learn how to discipline well. He goes on and he says this, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Do you believe that? That it's gonna pursue you? Because see, most of the time when we look at God pursuing us, we look that he's coming to get us, right? God's coming to get me because I've been bad. He's gonna come get me. Well, maybe, but he doesn't come with an attitude of, I'm going to get you. He comes with an attitude of, where are you? That's how he came in Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Do you guys remember the story? Adam and Eve sins, and God doesn't say, I'm coming to get you, and like lightning bolts shooting out and like getting them, zapping them. And you see them pop like the cartoons with a lightning bolt hitting them down the road. That's not what he does. He comes out and he goes, where are you? Like he didn't know, right? It's like hide and seek with a one-year-old, and they're laying down in the middle of the living room right? Covering their eyes. You can't see me. Yeah, you're right. No idea where you are. Like, it's the same thing. He goes, where are you? Well, we hid from you. Why? Because we no longer believe in your goodness and your faithful love. We know there are going to be consequences, and we're not sure we can take it, and we don't want it, and so as a result, we don't believe you're good and you love us anymore. It's exactly what David's laying out. And he said, faithful love. See, faithful love is a love that's truthful. It's a love that says, I love you enough to tell you this, to, to, to talk to you about this, to be careful with this. Like, I, I love you enough to do that. And I'm going to continue to pursue it. You want to know why? Because you keep saying you're my sheep. And if you're my sheep and you keep saying that, then I'm going to let the world see I pursue my sheep because they represent my name. I'm going to keep coming after you, he says. Jesus said it this way. When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. He didn't look at them and go, what a bunch of stupid sheep. These idiots keep coming. They just want food. He's getting ready to feed them. They're going to be hungry. They just want to be healed. They just want stuff from me. That's all they're here for, which is true. They were. He even says that later. You just want stuff. That's all you want. You're going to come. You're going to want. And then when it's time to actually lay down your load in life, you're going to be in the crowd going, crucify him, crucify him. We want a party. We want a show. It'll be fun to watch somebody die. Or at best, you'll just be in the crowd going, oh, that's just so unfortunate. You won't do anything. He looks and he says, I see them and I have compassion because they're weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. And you say, well, how do sheep get without a shepherd? Well, either the shepherd leaves or the sheep leaves. And Jesus says, I don't leave. So we're leaving. And he says, I look at you and I want you. And he says, then his disciples said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus in another passage says, there are flocks that I have around the world. There, there are sheep that don't know me yet, and I want you to go and tell them about the good shepherd. But if we don't believe he's good, and we have all these wants, and all we do is go out and say, yeah, I know Jesus, but here's my want list, people don't want that shepherd. They're like, well, that's just like every other world belief. You just pick the God that gives you what you want. He's not really God, he's just the genie. 
goes on and he says this, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as he lives. David is so confident. He says, look, I've been through so much in my life. I've done more sin than you probably have. I've done all kinds of stuff. But can I tell you, his goodness and his mercy continues to chase after me. He continues to chase after me. And then he says, and can I tell you, I know that I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. You want to know why David knew that? An adulterer, a murderer, a liar, a thief. You want to know why David knew that? Because he was a really good person? Adulterer, liar, murderer? No, because he knew the shepherd. And he knew that the shepherd was worthy of his life and he kept coming back to give him more of his life, to surrender more of his life, to say, I'm done, I can't do this, I'm yours, help. That's what he kept doing. And so he knew when Jesus wrote this, this is exactly what David knew. He is the door. He says, the Lord of my Lord, in one of his Psalms, he writes, the Lord of my Lord. In other words, Jesus, who's the door to get to the Father. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and come and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so they might have life and have it abundance, eternal life forever in my house. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, when David writes, I'll be in the house of the Lord forever, tune in for a sec. What did they do in the Lord's house when you went to the Lord's house? What was the number one thing they were doing when you went there? Sacrificing sheep. By the thousands, tens of thousands, even millions. Wait a minute, you're calling in the good shepherd and you want to dwell in his house? You realize that if you're a sheep in the temple, it doesn't go well. They slit your throat, the blood runs down, there's a big blood trail, then they burn you, and then they eat you. Run! (laughs) He goes, no, I'm I'm ready to dwell in the house of the Lord because of what he's done. My life's not mine anyway. I gotta die anyway. I might as well die in the house of the Lord for something meaningful than just die by a wolf eating me alive out in the world. I'm gonna die somehow, I'm a sheep. I don't live forever. I'd rather die in his house with a purpose, and that purpose is, you ready for this? Bringing salvation to my brothers and sisters. David is saying, I'd rather be in the house of the Lord, laying down my life, giving salvation and hope to my brothers and sisters than to be out in the mess, out in the world, and get killed anyway. Because there's no way out of this life without surrender. Jesus said, you have to give your life, you have to surrender it. I'm a dead man to you. I I want what you have. And then he says, and I'll bring the lamb back to life. The lamb who was slain is the number one way the book of Revelation loves to refer to our Savior. Over and over again through the entire book of Revelation, the lamb that was slain, 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 that's still alive, that's resurrected. How's that work? Because you're a sheep. That gives you a lot of encouragement. (laughs) The lamb that was slain, I've slain. I'm going to die, but he's still alive, and we celebrate that. I'm in. I'm in the house of the Lord. He goes on, and he says this. The hired man, since he's not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. He leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired man. He doesn't really care about the sheep. 
See, there's something about running. When we run, it exposes our hearts that we don't have God's heart. That we, we really don't want to be a good shepherd and we don't want to stay in it and fight. I'm just done. And God says, you do that and it's going to scatter lives. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. That's the harvest. And they will listen to my voice. Do you want to listen? I'm going through the book of Deuteronomy and I'm listening and it's wonderful. And you guys look at me and go, Deuteronomy, that's horrible. No, I'm listening. Probably for the first time that I've read Deuteronomy, I'm actually listening to him. And he's prepared me over the years to know and to, I'm enjoying this because I'm hearing God's heart. He goes on, he says, look at this. There will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I'm laying down my life so I may take it up again. How many times does Jesus have to say in this passage, I lay down my life, 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 I lay down my life. And then we go, I'm not laying down my life. What? That's what a shepherd does. That's what I modeled. That's what I brought to you. He goes on and he says, no one takes it from me. I love this. See, we think people are taking stuff from us. Jesus is like, no, no, no. it looks like Pilate and all of them, are, they're not taking anything. They got permission. It's not going to work. I'm coming back to life. So when people try to take stuff, you're like, that's fine, take it. I'm coming back to life. I want you to come back to life. And if you knew that, maybe you wouldn't take stuff. He goes on and he says, I have the right and I have the right to lay it down and to take it up again. I've received this command from my father. Jesus was walking, so he gives this temple, or gives this teaching. Now he's walking into where? The house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Now he's walking into the temple complex after giving this teaching. Then the Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Are you the shepherd or not, basically? They say, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Can you imagine? He just got done teaching. He's like... Tell us plainly, how more plainly can I? One flock, one shepherd, it's me. Father, son, me. And they go, could you just tell us plainly? We just don't get it. I don't know how to be more plain with you. He goes on and he says, I did tell you and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. See, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. They follow me. Jesus in another passage says, if you want to follow him, you're going to have to pick up your cross. Pick up your electric chair. Pick up your noose. Wear it around like a piece of jewelry. And follow me. Your life's not your own. And it's worth giving for other people because that's what I did. And look at what he says. <clears throat> He's in the temple and he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. They're slaughtering animals by the thousands. He goes, my sheep are never going to perish. There's sheep perishing everywhere. What are you going to bring them back to life? No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
No one. Not you, not me, no one. If you come to him and say, I'm done, I surrender, you're my shepherd. Jesus said, great, now you're mine. I got the rod, we're going to go to work. I'm going to teach you how to be a sheep. I'm going to teach you how to give your life, to feed others, to clothe others. That's what I'm going to teach you. It's going to be a hard, it's going to be tough, but I'm here. I'm your shepherd. And he says, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. You know how many people no one includes? Everyone. No one. Nobody gets in. See, most of us don't get that. Even if you try to choose, I'm done with you, God, and walk away, he's going to pursue you. He's going to come after you for his namesake, not just because you're so great and awesome, because his name is on you now because you took it on, and he's coming after you. He goes on, he says this, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Man, that should just put a smile on your face. Because David got this. David was the murderer, adulterer, and he's looking, he's going, okay, but God, you continue to pursue me, and and I haven't been snatched away yet. I'm still in your hand, and I take confidence in knowing that. The father and I, look at this, are one. Jesus tells them plainly, "The, the father and I are one. And as I wrap up, look at their response. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone. The same thing we do. It's my first gut response sometimes when God tells me a hard thing. You got to remember, he just said that the entire temple was about him and he's standing in the middle of it. They got the message very clear, which is why they pick up stones. In the next chapter, it said they picked up stones because they said, you're blaspheming, saying you're God. We're going to kill you right now in the temple. He's like, yeah, that's going to happen, but not right now. (laughs) I'm the lamb that was slain. I'm going to die in the temple, but you don't get to make that decision. And he gets away. And we're the same way. We get a hard teaching, and we want to pick up that stone and say, how dare you tell me, shepherd? I'll show you. Or we do the second thing, and that is we pick up our stone-cold heart and we put it back in. And we begin to get a heart of stone that God just cannot penetrate. And we get this heart of stone before him because we pick up that stone heart and say, I will not yield to what I want. I won't. Jesus is, remember what he said? look at you and I have compassion because you're like sheep without a shepherd. I wish, I wish you'd want what I want. See, if you don't tell people what they want, most often they're going to pick up a stone to get you. They're either going to harden their heart towards you or they're going to get rid of you. In Jesus' case, they did both. Can I just encourage you with something? Psalm 23 is beautiful because it explains our life. It goes from the green pastures. It goes to the shadow of the valley of death. And it ends with the confidence to know without 
doubt that we can be in the presence of the Lord forever and that should change the way we live our lives. It should change the way different, how we enter our homes, how we enter church, how we enter into relationships. It should change it all because no longer are we moving for our wants, we're moving for his namesake because we want them to be in his house and that changes us. And we become sheep that, you know what? My job is to clothe and my job is to die. And I take it on because I know you won't leave me dead. And I know the revelation says you'll clothe me even after you shear me. You're going to put your robe back on me. See, that's the faith of the Bible. It's a beautiful picture. When you look at Psalm 23 and John 10 of what a good shepherd is. Let me ask you, do you want a shepherd? Or do you want what you want? Do you need a shepherd right now? Are you going through the valley of the shadow of death right now in your life? Could you, would you just go to him? Would you, would you just go to him and say, Don, I just want you to shepherd me. I, I can't need help. But give me shepherds in my life. I'll confess. I'll have people pray for me. I'll do whatever I need to do. And I'll listen. When I fail and I fall, I'll get back up and I'll confess and I'll start over and I'm willing to lay my life down again. Slay me again, it's okay. I know you're gonna resurrect me. I know I got a home with you forever, I'm in. That's the Bible. That's the God of the book. And it's amazing. 